0: Good to see you, brother. <laughs> okay. Judges, uh, we're coming to a close here in Judges eventually. Uh, but we, I promise you we will get through if God permits me to live the next 40 years. And then... <clears throat> Uh, I, I read a story about, uh, we're going to look at 1718 tonight, Judges 1718. I read a story about, a, uh, about Sulphur Mountain, just outside the town of Bath, uh, where you have a beautiful view of the Canadian Rockies. It was it's a cute story, kind of. On top of that mountain, there was a tea house uh, with a herd of about 30 mountain sheep outside it, and they had become very tamed as far as walking up to the people that visited that area, and they were uh, really tame beggars. They have taken to begging handouts from the tourists. And the the sad thing about this, the tourists gave them handouts, but they were starving to death. Um, the, the sheep were actually um, on a diet of... Uh, peanuts, which I, I think is great, popcorn, uh, anything salty like that, uh, and also uh, they, hamburgers, I mean, that, that would have been a good diet. Uh, uh, but they even ate plastic uh, salty bags, and I'd left that off. But as a result, the, the herd had been neglecting its normal grass diet and uh the unfortunate thing they were losing weight but also the females uh, no longer to, uh, could produce um, enough high quality milk to nourish their lambs and this is what the park warden said he said sheep develop a taste for this kind of junk it is pathetic to see but there is really very little we can do about it i wish people would realize their kindness amounts to cruelty what those sheep had become were junk food junkies. And you know, we think about that, but two-legged sheep also, we as God's sheep can also become junk food junkies. And we do so often. If you just think about it. The problem is that, you know, they these sheep had little to do with nutrition. Uh, what they were eating had a little to do with nutritional value. It also spoiled their appetite for the real food. And isn't that true with us today as spiritual people? In the spiritual world, we can eat spiritual junk food that can spoil our appetite for God's solid food and addict us to what is superficially satisfying. I think that happens a lot, a lot more than we would like to admit it. It leaves us with spiritual starvation in our lives and a danger to those who depend upon us for spiritual nourishment, spiritual insight. Now in this passage we, uh, we're about to look at, we can, we can classify these, if you will, as three junk food things that uh, we need to watch out for. Uh, the, you know, the labeling and the packaging, uh, it's, um, it may change, but the basic uh, product, it never changes. I mean, it's the same thing with us. I'm convinced that there's not a single modern Christian who has not entered are enticed by at least one of the uh, forms of spiritual junk food that we see in the this chapter or these chapters here tonight, this evening. So the first thing that we're going to look at, and we'll look at point two next week, but the first thing that we need to look at is, you know, we do what God's Word warns us as wrong or we shouldn't do. And the sad thing about this In doing it, we so often deceive ourselves into thinking or believing that it's fine. And this is exactly what happened here. And for 16 chapters in Judges, the people of Israel, they've gone around and around and down the same downward spiral. Spiral of sin, servitude, uh, supplication, salvation, and repeated sin. And no matter how often God warned them or how many miraculous uh, times uh, they, uh, he made a, a divine intervention to uh, deliver them, they refused to learn the lessons of, of a wholehearted obedience to God. And I'm afraid that, you know, we as a church do the same thing, don't we? We justify what we want to justify in our minds to make us content so that, Uh, we can go on with our lifestyle instead of looking at a wholehearted commitment to the Lord so often. So uh, the stories in Judges are related for a very specific purpose. And that reason or purpose is to teach us what happens when we turn away from the authority of God's word to religious and moral anarchy. Now a verse that's repeated twice in these chapters is the key to the entire period of Judges, and we've repeated it over and over again. If you look in verses, verse 6 of chapter 17, in those days there was no king in Israel, and what did every man do? What was right in his own eyes. Also in Judges 21-25, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israelites if you look at this be very careful about how it's worded look at what it says the Israelites did not do what was wrong in their own eyes on the contrary they convinced themselves that they were doing what was right in their own eyes now people we can do that pretty easily can't we I mean if we if something convicts us, if if something moves in our life, if the Holy Spirit moves in our life through the Word of God, and we are doing something that we really don't want to give up, or we have gotten accustomed to, or it's an easy way, we so often want to convince ourselves that what we're doing is right. It's just the way you look at it. So, they were living in a swamp of relativism. Now... If it's right for me in my own eyes, they were saying, then do it. We say the same thing today. So we so often change what principles and truths that God has given us uh, in the Bible to what we believe is right for us and convenient for us. Judges is a book of religious anarchy and moral collapse. And those two things go hand in hand. They're often in that order and when spiritual anarchy prevails, moral collapse, what follows? Religious apostasy leads directly to moral confusion. So let's just look at the first, if you will, junk food mentioned here. And that's in verses one through six. It says, now there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. He said to his mother, the 1100 pieces of silver which were taken from you about which you uttered a curse In my hearing, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, well, bless your little heart, son. Blessed be my son by the Lord. He then returns the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother, and his mother said, now I want to tell you what to do with it. I wholly dedicate the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a graven image. I'm so proud of you. I want you to make a graven image, or I'm going to have a graven image and a molten image made for you. Now, therefore, I will re- return them to you. So when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver, gave them to the silversmith, and who had them in a gra- who made them into a graven image and molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an effort and household idols, and consecrated one of his sons. Boy, he's going all out, isn't he? That he might become his priest. I want my own priest. I'll just resurrect my son. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. We have a story of a man living in the hill country of Ephraim. He seems to be from probably a wealthy family. And the pers- the name is Micah which means who is like the Lord, but we see that what he did was contradiction to his character or his, what his character should have been. And so we read from these verses that he had stolen 1,100 pieces of silver from his mother. Now, he must have been maybe a su- su- uh, superstitious man. He heard his mother cursing the thief in the name of God, and he was terrified. And then he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver which were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse in my hearing. Behold, the silver is with me. In other words, he may have thought his mother was going to turn him into a frog or something. I don't know. But um, he was terrified that it, so much so they brought the money back and explained why. Maybe, maybe it was a blessing that, that uh, followed. The blessing was to cancel out the effect of the curse. He was hoping his mother would counsel out that frog curse or whatever it was. And his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. Now, we, we don't read here where the mother ever condemned her son for wrong action, do we? Uh-uh. Maybe because she wasn't the kind of example that she should have been before him. Because she acted as a thief also. Look in verse 3. She said, they, he then returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother and his mother said, I wholly dedicate the silver wholly, every bit of it, from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I return them to you. Now, in verse 4, so when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200, only 200 pieces. Woo-hoo. What happened to the other nine hundred? 200 pieces of silver, gave them to a silversmith who made them to a graven image, molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. tells us that she spent only 200 pieces of silver on this. She had promised the Lord all of it, but she only spent 200. What happened to the other 900 pieces of silver? You see, one of the uh, saddest things of our time is the Number of parents who have no true values to communicate to their children. We're seeing it over and over again. No true values to communicate to their children. Not just without my generation. It's not just with the generation that followed. It's not just with the generation before, it seems like. It seems like it's today. No true values. And if they are values, they're whatever is right in their own eyes. When our children do wrong or in this case steal from us, what should we do? What do we do? It's a sad phenomenon today to see many children never receive any kind of discipline or correction. We see it today. And we see people buying other people's wrong out paying to get them off and not letting them face the consequences and it's sad it went somewhat in my generation it was uh, you know it was evident generation to follow but you see the sad thing about this it if it's not corrected if it's not taught if it's not Uh, instilled in our minds and our hearts and and received then it's going to progressively get worse right it seems that Micah's mother uh, not only dismissed any kind of correction but she actually led in this idolatry he established a full-fledged shrine in his home and complete with a priestly garment and A molten image, a graven image it says, and a number of uh, portable household gods called teraphins. Micah even went a step further. He ordained one of his sons as a priest. It says, and the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and, and a household idols and consecrated one of his sons that he might become his priest. This is an act of spiritual anarchy according to God's word. He didn't have a right to do that. Does one expect anything different, though? Look at how his mother was. And look at the mood of the times. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. First, Micah became a thief. Second, he, has, he was advanced to an idolater, which is in plain contradiction to the third commandment you shall not make for yourself an idol or anything like in any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water underneath uh, under the earth you shall not worship them or serve them exodus chapter 20 third micah set up his own shrine in direct contradiction to to god's command that worship was only to be carried out at the tabernacle in Deuteronomy twelve four 14 and 16, 1 through 7. It wasn't that he was that far away from the place of worship. And then fourth, he had established a false priesthood, again in direct uh, disobedience to God's word. So the thing that we need to think about was not how attractive these things were or how well how well they were made and what others thought of them the thing that he, they should have been concerned about was, well, what does God think about it? But so often, you know, it was, um, it's, it's just like that with day, today, isn't it? I mean, we're more concerned about our outward appearance before other people than we are about our inward appearance before God. We want to put on the right impression, the right uh, view before other people, We want to give them the right picture of us. Whether it's in contradiction to what's in our heart or not. What we need to be concerned about is, and then we won't have to worry about our outward appearance, will we? If we are concerned more about our inward appearance before the Lord. What does our heart show? It was a homemade worship of a man-made God here. How did God feel about it? Well, God, as Scripture tells us, God hated it. Did he think that God hated it? No, he didn't think that God hated it because it had come to the point where every man did what was right in his own eyes. The Lord tells us that we worship only one true God, the, the, uh, the Lord God, and there is no other God above him. And he tells us how we're to worship him and what kind of worship he accepts but we today play the same uh, game so often. A thing that needs to be noted here was that Micah was not worshiping Baal or a false god. He was worshiping Yahweh, he thought, but by his idols. He had made up his own kind of worship that would be accepted. He had brought in what he saw from other countries, the people that they were around, and he had adapted that into his kind of worship. Man, does that not sound like hey, hey, it's same thing, packaged a little differently today, but same thing. Now I know that the Lord Yahweh, he said, will prosper me, seeing that I have a Levite as a priest. Judges 17:13. When God condemns adultery, he not only forbids worship of false gods he forbids the worship of the true god by images such false worship robs god of his glory and and we need to think about that i'm all the time hearing people say i don't like that picture of me you know you you make a directory oh that that's not a good picture of me you know <laughs> i mean i've said it hey you know of course i ain't found a good picture of me yet but yeah, hey Because uh, the the subject, I know, it doesn't produce that good a picture. But, you know, we, we do that. No one cares for a bad picture of them to be circulated. We don't even like pictures that are less than flattering concerning us. But that's often due to a pride in it. But not so with God, is it? No picture and no image no matter how skillfully it is done, can properly honor God. You know, nothing, nothing wrong. This cross is beautiful. It's beautiful. I've heard people say, I can't worship without seeing that cross. Now, does that put us into a category where We're putting more emphasis on the image than the God that we're worshiping. We need to be very careful about that. Now, I'm not saying that, hey, we shouldn't show that because it's beautiful. And it should remind us of what Christ has done for us, but pictures. Man, I see pictures of God in the cloud with a beard looks like santa claus with his hands out he's just a good old fella a good old guy look at him smiling at us he's a man in the sky well did that artist mean for us to worship god in that way should we worship god in that way I mean, it's fine to paint something like that. But it's wrong when we get to the point where we begin to gather our information about God from an artist's rendition of it, right? We're all fallen, and we cannot express the full glory and honor of God in no way, and, and we shouldn't try we should just say hey this is just man-made and and uh, please it falls way short of what the word of god says no picture no image no matter how skillfully it is done can properly honor god we can admire the artist and his work and we should but I don't care how skillful he or she is, they cannot honor God with a hand-tooled likeness or a pain. We always fall short. True image of God is not to be found in all the world, John Calvin said. And hence his glory is defiled and his truth corrupted by the lie. Whenever he is set before our eyes in visible form, Therefore, to devise any image of God is itself impious because by this corruption, his majesty is adulterated and he is figured to be other than he is. Well, I think that we can draw and we can try to come up with something, but we should make sure that we say this is from a fallen perspective. Don't, Don't get your God... And worship your God from this image. This is what I'm trying to paint. This is what I'm trying to make. It is not a true image of God. We don't like unflattering pictures of ourselves floating around. And it's worse to have your picture floating around on a poster. Maybe at the uh, post office. And it misrepresents you, hopefully. God also detests images of him. They do not properly represent him. They can mislead people concerning him. They can give false views of him. So our problem is not carved images. Our problem goes even further than that. It's mental images that we develop ourselves. People, that's where it goes back to reading into the scripture and reading What you have and your thoughts that are going about in culture and bringing it into the scripture to make God a good old guy, just like you and I. He is, but he's a perfect individual to be worshipped, and he is higher than us, and he's not just one of our good old uh, Santa Clauses that says ho, ho, ho at Christmas. He's not that. And we shouldn't make him that. But we make him into a convenient, our mental pictures of him are worse than paintings that could ever be painted so often. And and, uh, uh, carved uh, pictures uh, or images of him. Because why? Because we begin to develop a God that allows us to live our casual Christianity where we don't wholeheartedly follow God. In his word. Micah was given. Was guilty of a self-made religion. He was guilty of homemade God. And he was aware of it. You have taken away my gods. Which I made in Judges 18.24. He is willing to fight over a God. That he made. A God someone could steal. And we say. How ridiculous was he? As ridiculous as we are today. We fight over images that we make up in in our own minds of our gods. And we have no biblical foundation to stand on with them a lot. When churches are receiving members who, you know, who have had no prior church values, no church ethics, no respect for the church or the pastor or other church leaders, no respect for the word of God, and let them try to tell you what the Word of God says because they feel it, because that's what they, they would like to believe, because that's just the way you interpret it, but this is the way I interpret it, then when we do that, we're going to have a church that is falling into anarchy. For... Many it is believing what is right in their own eyes. I'm afraid that so often we see that, that uh, nothing of the living God that is spoken about today is really what we see in the word of God. He's just a good old guy in the heaven. Don't believe in that judgment. Don't believe in hell. Homosexuality is just an alternate lifestyle we should accept you shouldn't be so mean and harsh and intolerant yet they force their beliefs on us don't they and they want to judges 1831 we're told so they set up for themselves Micah's graven image which he had made all the time that house of God was at Shiloh that tells us that the tabernacle the house of God was at Shiloh. It was in the hill country of Ephraim. Only a short journey from Micah's house. Micah's idolatry had nothing to do with the unavailability of God's house. It had everything to do with the refusal to follow God's word. I'm afraid that's the same thing, same way it is today. We have churches on every corner of the street. Many are still preaching the word of God, but there are many who are illiterate of the Word of God, making up their own beliefs, living their own way, choosing whatever they want to choose as a way of worship. And you can go to any of them you feel comfortable to go to. Martin Luther once said, anything that one imagines of God apart from Christ is only useless thinking and vain idolatry. We can say about ourselves, Anything in our lives to which we attach the worth and importance that belongs only to God becomes an idol in our lives. Religion without uh, revelation or religious practice without God's truth. That's where they were. This is what was happening with Micah and Israel. They did what was right in their own eyes. How committed are we to the truth of scripture today? How biblical is our view of God if our God is whatever we want it to be? Is God a God molded by the philosophies of this age or is God the God that we worship from the word of God? That's the first junk food. We'll look at the other two next week. Let's bow our heads in prayer.